Welcome to this Thursday edition of LeVac and Gaz, May 18th, 2023. And we told you here on Fox Sports Radio 95, 9 to 980, we were going to give you different coverage than anybody else in the 518 in the Capital Region. Less than 24 hours ago, the news breaks that Antonio Brown may or may not be playing for the Albany Empire May 27th. And look, the reports that he is, he intends to play May 27th. Now, because it is 2023, content's created all so different here. Our guy, Levesque, is down in Florida right now. Things going on involving the Albany Empire, the Orlando Predators, the National Arena League, and more. There is nobody who has been more boots to the ground, and in this case, truly boots to the ground more, down in Florida right now, covering this, getting us the inside scoop and more than our guy, Levesque. Levesque, thank you for doing this. Welcome Bright and early, making it happen, top of the show. Hope the weather is good. Let's dive into this Antonio Brown stuff for you. Oh, dude, it's it's uh, it's beautiful here, and uh, we're I'm at Hollywood Studios as we speak. I'm uh, my my daughter and her boyfriend are building a droid, and uh, and I'm going to build a lightsaber later. So just to be prepared for when I come back. Uh, listen, anybody who thinks he's actually going to play or play like meaningful football, I think I think you're you're falling for the nonsense and tomfoolery that he has been presenting since he, since he got into, you know, the capital region. Like I know that we'd always spoken about him doing it. Like I remember coach Manas one time going, look, just play the first play. You play the first play. We're going to sell a bunch of tickets and we'll be good. And so like, if he does actually play, that's what I think you'll see. Maybe he runs out there one play and then, and then you're just watching him stand in, you know, maybe, maybe he pulls, pulls a full, you know, Tampa Bay, at Jets, takes his uniform off on the field and runs off the field. I, I just, I have trouble believing he's actually going to suit up and play an entire arena football game. Let's backpedal a little bit because some people who have been following this story more recently may not know about the backdrop and backstory about Antonio Brown joining the Albany Empire. When these discussions had first began months ago involving Mike Corder, the then owner of the Empire, and you and your role as team president, was there ever a discussion that this could be a possibility that some point in the future Antonio Brown would tank the field in the Capital Region as a member of the active Albany Empire roster? There wasn't in the beginning. The, the first time it was brought up was was literally, I want to say it was like 11 o'clock at night on a Wednesday. We're at Tech East Fire and Water Restoration where the contract was signed. And I jokingly said, Mike, you slipped the player contract in there, right? And Mike starts laughing and AB looked up at me like, What? And then, you know, we, we've talked about it here and there, just like as more or less like as a, as a promotional situation. Um, I, I've never I've never believed he would actually go out there and play a full a full game. But there was a point when I was ordering uniforms, I did order an 84. So I don't know if they ever followed through on it. But like I bought it more for like a promo thing. But if they followed through on that order, he has a jersey ready to go. Also, wasn't there talks and protocols and issues that – if he actually was the owner of the team, there had to be a lot of hoops to jump through for him to actually be a football player, to be paid as a National Arena League athlete. It's not just as simple as, oh, I own the team. I'm going to throw a hat off and now toss on a helmet, shoulder pads. I feel like there's got to be way more to this. And this has been talked about months ago that it can't be just that easy. So I believe what you'll see here is last year, we we fought and got it set up to where uh, Jay Rich, Jeremy Richardson, our defensive back coach, was able to suit up and play. So the bottom line is this: there's no there's no salary cap in this league. 
what was happening when the rules were set up where you couldn't do stuff like that was because you would see teams who are really smart hire a coach who they knew could still play, stash them, and then when they needed them, they would just activate them. So that, that's a way to get around the salary cap and have an extra guy. This is a no-salary cap league. There's, there's very little to stop him from playing on a rule level. And I don't know if you've been paying attention. Commissioner Siegfried is clearly we'll, – I'll put this nice. He's a big fan of Antonio Brown. So he's going to do what Antonio wants him to do. That's what he's been doing for the last few weeks anyway. That was my first reaction yesterday. When I hear this news that Antonio Brown might play, I thought about Commissioner Siegfried and where his mindset's at. Is it that, you know what, we're going to get national attention. We're going to be on big-time coast-to-coast networks in the middle of May with sometimes considering this to be a slower time period in national sports talk. We're going to be on the national spotlight. Antonio Brown's going to play. He's got millions of followers on social media. Oh, we have to bend the rules and change some things for him to give us attention in the league. We're willing to do that. It always seems like Antonio Brown and Commissioner Siegfried are, are on the same team. Is that the way to phrase this? Well, think about it like this. Since since I became a part of the NAL in 21, we've had how many owners change? Like, you know, Mike went from minority to majority. The Von Schillers joined us. AB joined us down in West Texas. They changed ownership like twice. I think the Millennium Falcon just went by. Um, they, like we've had all these ownership changes. All these people join in. Like John Kane leaves Albany, goes to Carolina. Like, have you seen anybody else get a special announcement that they're joining an ownership team and that they that they're he backs them a hundred percent? It's only been Antonio Brown. So there is. Um, I, I want to like call it a star crush. I think I think Commission's got a little star crush on uh, on Mr. Brown. I always assumed, and maybe history is going to tell me this was the wrong assumption. But in the San Antonio Brown potentially playing former athlete scenario, my assumption was the only time we're going to ever see Antonio Brown as a break glass if emergency, like secret weapon, or this is the last resort because. As working as the team's broadcast for the past few seasons, this was a championship team I covered. They won the NAL in 2022. They won the NAL in 2021. So they didn't really need them. They were good without them. They had the best players in the league, and they proved that to be the case as they won championships. So now with this potentially being Antonio Brown debuting for the Empire on May 27th, this actually comes to fruition and happens. Do you see this as almost a desperation move of, because of whatever the finances are now, and those things are changing potentially daily, that the Empire have no other choice but to put them on the field if they want to get butts and seats. I think I think as far as attendance goes, and I mean, let's be honest, you mentioned it. Like, that was an all-star roster a couple weeks ago. Now it's not. Like, you still have very good players. You know, you got a coaching staff that knows what they're doing. But, yeah, maybe maybe they actually do need him to suit up. They may need a guy. Um, but, no, I think this is 100% to sell tickets and – if he plays the whole game, that's awesome. Like, good for him, good for the good for the team, good for everything. Because it'll be cool. It'll be on Sports Center. You'll get the attention that you want. If he goes out there and shoots up but never goes in, or goes out there shoots up, play, play you know one one deep route and then leaves, it's just a scam, and people will see right through it and be ticked off. This is going to seem like an odd comparison, but you as a fight fan like me, I think you're going to understand this comparison, that there are going to be people that are going to look at Antonio Brown suiting up for the Albany Empire in the same ways that people view Floyd Mayweather or Conor McGregor, that they're polarizing, they talk trash, they have a huge following on social media, and people want to see the top athlete compete at the top level. However, there are some people 
who are anti-Floyd Mayweather and anti-Conor McGregor. And as much as there's fans that want to see those guys win, there's a contingency of fans that want to see these guys get their butts kicked and knocked out inside the octagon and knocked out inside a boxing ring. Could we see something like that happen here in the Capital Region that if fans aren't Antonio Brown fans, they're going to root against them? And they want to see him take a big hit over the middle for the entertainment portion of, hey, he's been running his mouth, he's been doing this, he's been doing that. I want to go to the game to see him get blasted coming over the middle. Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, he was booed last time he walked out of the field and he had that comedian Michael Blackson with him. Like he, he is, it's one of those deals where people want to love this team, they want to love everything about it, but they can see what's going on and it's not, it's, it's not what you would traditionally do to, to continue a power. And the way he speaks, it's almost like he thinks he's more important than the history of the squad. So you're seeing some fans get ticked off about that. I, I, I do think it'll be, it'll be a little bit of both. Like, as a marketing guy, dude, there's no better plan than to put him on the field. Like, I, I always say, the circus sells tickets too, man. Like, let's go. But he's, he's polarizing. I can guarantee you one thing for sure. He ain't going to play on June 9th down in Orlando. He ain't going to uh. want no part of those guys. Ah, that's it right there, and that's why I'm so thrilled you are in Orlando right now because this is so different than anything we see in the professional sports world. We never see something like what could happen with the Albany Empire locally here in the 518 in that matchup coming up later this summer with the Orlando Predators. LeVac, this is like WWF 90s where Stone Cold Steve Austin is taking out the boss. Now, look, if you're not a wrestling fan, here's a better way to think about this. Imagine you had an opportunity for the person who fired you from a job. You get to have a physical altercation or confrontation with them, and you're allowed to hit them. Like, that's what's going to happen here. The Albany Empire players that won championships are now members of the Orlando Predators, and you're telling me the boss who fired them is not going to be competing against him. If he actually takes the field, I can't take my eyes off of it. And what's going to happen in Orlando is going to be one of the most must-see events, not just in NAL history, but maybe since we've been out in the Capital Region, that has so many layers and and feels like the dream of so many sports fans that they might have a chance to lay out their boss and not get in trouble for it. I mean, absolutely. And and look, I, you know, I don't speak for anyone but myself, but I can tell you right now there's – there's no way on God's green earth that those guys aren't mad about the way they left Albany. They they all love the community. Brandon Cisse moved to Albany. Like, he lives there. That's his home now. And he has to go play football in Orlando to continue his career. Um, it, it's it's really, like, it's become personal. He made it He made it personal. These are guys that, like, are professionals. Like, like Darius Prince is crazy, and, and Dwayne Hollis is a ton of fun. And, you know, like, all these guys are good. Oh, there goes the Falcon again. Um, but at the same time, like they loved the community of Albany and they, they wanted to play the rest of their season there. The fact that they have to pick up and go become part of a new team, learn new systems, you know, figure out where exactly they fit in the systems. And, and like, look, they understand that if they're being added to a roster, somebody's being cut from a roster, all those things matter to them. And if they, if they get a chance to suit up across the field from Antonio, that might be, that might be like Steelers Bengals level hard hitting game. Oh, how different your plans for this week have been. 
We've been getting content from you this week. We thought Thursday would be a nice, easy day. Nothing would be going on. You get a chance to go to the parks, kind of get away a little bit from the NAL stuff and the Empire stuff and the players moving and Mike Corda's situation with Techies Firewater Restoration, his new role with the Orlando team. We thought this would be a far different day than what it's turned out to be in the week. But with all that said, we know you've been active on social media at the Jeff Levac on Twitter. For those who don't have social media, you're missing out. Levac, please. Take us through what Epcot around the world has been one of your favorite things to do. I um so I made it, but it, it was it was tough because uh, my my plan. You know the old saying is you know failing to plan is planning to fail. I've always done my plan based on being dropped off by the buses. So I would enter the World Showcase in the middle, where you'd have Canada on one side, Mexico on the other. I got dropped off by the Skyliner, so now I was already in the World Showcase. Completely threw me for a loop. Started in France, drank a flight in France, and then um, it, just, it was just it was piecemeal. I put a lot more steps in than I normally do for the drink around the world. I can tell you that. But but your boy keeps going. And, and this morning at uh, Hollywood Studios, I drank at uh, Ogus Cafe. So I'm now not only drinking around the world. I am I am currently drinking around the galaxy. So I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It really is. I don't know what the rest of the week's gonna hold for us. Because it's been packed. We've had such great guests with Matt Verderam and Kevin Sweeney. You've been joining those conversations. We've had such Yankee talk. You've been active and connect with people on social media. I would tell you that tomorrow is going to be a little bit more chill. Your phone won't be ringing. But how the last 48 hours have gone, keep your phone on wherever it is. If you're on the teacups, if you're on Space Mountain, be on the lookout if your phone rings again. Again, follow him on Twitter, at the Jeff Levac, giving updates and more throughout it. If you got messages for Levac. I'll send them across the iHeart app. Appreciate you, man, doing this with a crazy schedule that's worked out for you and looking forward to having you back in studio right here in the Capital Region on Monday again. All right, buddy. Tomorrow's a travel day, so you know you know what that means. Irish coffee and, and a nice flight to Albany. There he goes, our guy LeVac. We appreciate him taking that out of the day with everything going on. So LeVac again, even though he won't be here likely for the rest of the show and Friday, he will be back on Monday, and that's the way to connect with him. We've got a lot of stuff coming up, by the way. Our guy, Brady Farkas, is going to join us again in the 4 o'clock hour. We're going to do some top 4 at 4 action with him, talk some NBA playoffs again and baseball and all the big storylines. We want you to be a part of the show today. And if you want to connect, one of the ways that people have been able to connect, we talked about social media, but this guy in particular who's coming up next has built a great following on YouTube. He hosts out in Houston, but he is a New York guy to his core. But you listening right now probably know him more from YouTube then you do out in Texas. Jake Asman's going to join us. He's called Aaron Rodgers the Dragon. We're going to ask him about the Jets, Aaron Rodgers' dragon claim, Knicks. We're going to talk Yankees. Jake is going to be excited to talk some New York sports with us. Jake, reach out to him. He's always doing a great job. So happy to have him coming on. You want to talk about somebody who's been elevating their brand. Elevation 10,000 continues to do that. And if you want to hop in on the show today, Elevation 10,000 can do that for you. Because they are the proud sponsor of our phone lines. So the phone lines will be open to you today as well. Give us a call. 518-690-0980. 518-690-0980. The Elevation 10,000 phone lines open to you. Elevate your brand. Whatever it is. Whether you're a YouTube host like Jake. Whether you're a radio host like Jake. Whether you want to start your own YouTube channel. Media company. A local softball team, baseball team, you're looking to get something cool for the Little Leagues and more across the Capital Region. Elevation 10,000 can do that for you. Jake Aspen's on the way, but I want my guy LeVac 
to tell us a little bit more about Elevation 10,000 before we hear from Jake. That is how you get it done. Like, I'm giving you instruction while you're sitting here going, I just can't understand why I don't have more sales. I can't understand why I can't get all my employees to wear the right polo, the right shirt, the right uniform. I can't understand why my signs never look right. Well, it's because you haven't elevated your brand with Elevation 10,000. Elevation 10,000 is the place to go to get your signs, to get your apparel. They can set up a web store for the public or just for your employees. So a limited-time web store, all your employees go. They fill out their sizes, what they're looking for. It gets shipped right to you. It's done. They can't say they don't like it because they picked it out. It's beautiful. It's a great plan. If you're looking to elevate your brand, marketing, signs, just day-to-day planning, whatever it is, you need to get a hold of Elevation 10,000. Elevation 10,000. Elevate your brand with Elevation 10,000. It's LeVac Goss here with you on Fox Sports 95.9 and 980. Joining us now, Jake Aspen. You can hear him down at ESPN in Houston. The Jake Aspen Show on YouTube. Even though he's down in Texas doing his thing, he's got that New York sports love deep in his heart. And we got to lead off with this. If you're not following or watching the Jake Aspen Show on YouTube, it is a mistake because you missed the reaction of our guy Jake finding out Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Jet Jake, for those who haven't followed your channel or saw your reaction, take us through those moments when you found out that Aaron Rodgers is going to be wearing green this upcoming season. Guys, even you just saying that, it just it doesn't sound real. Like Aaron <laughs> Rodgers wanted to play for the Jets, and he's a Jet, and he's talking about how he's having the best time so far, and it's been a dream, and he's had pinch-me moments, and I'm like, is he talking about the Jets? It's just, you know, as a diehard Jet fan hearing that, uh, it's, it's still surreal, and Obviously, the expectations change, and you're thinking about winning now and competing for a division and going on a run. But if you're a Jet fan and you've been through so much these last 12 years in particular, where you've missed the playoffs every year, you get the longest playoff drought in sports, and here comes Aaron Rodgers. Like, if you're a Jet fan, you're not pumped up, then you got to reevaluate if you're truly a Jet fan. So, what are the expectations? What are realistic expectations for the Jets in 2023? Look, they got to make the playoffs. I think that's the minimum. They've missed the playoffs 12 years in a row. It's the longest drought in professional sports. It's them and the Buffalo Sabres, for those who you know follow uh, the NHL. It's, it's those two teams. That's it. The longest playoff drought in sports. The Kings made the playoffs this year, and they ended uh, that drought for their first time since 2006. So the, the minimum requirement is the playoffs, but I want to win the division. The Jets have not won the AFC East in 20 years. They have not had a home playoff game since Herm Edwards was the head coach. It, it is time for the Jets to take a step forward, win the division, get a home playoff game, and set themselves up to have a legitimate chance to go on a run. The division is not easy. The Bills are rightfully still considered the favorites because of what they've done, but I have major questions about Tua's health in Miami. I have major questions just how good the Patriots even are. I don't care if they replaced Matt Patricia with Bill O'Brien. I think Mac Jones is dollar store Kirk Cousins, if I'm being honest with you. So I, I look at it like it's the Jets and the Bills, and Miami's good too, but you, know, you bring in Aaron Rodgers to a top five defense, the offensive and defensive rookie of the year. You're thinking about winning the AFC East and going from there. What I love about the passion for Jets fans is that those who follow you on YouTube, they're excited about the season. And we announced yesterday you're going to be on the show today. And immediately we start getting messages here from Capital Region Jet fans that want to ask you questions that they probably would have asked you on your YouTube show and everything else on all the different platforms. So I want to get to some of these questions. Nick in Syracuse is listening to us on the iHeart app wrote, Jake, do you think Brees Hall and Makai Becton can both be healthy for week one? Yes, I, I do. And, and, and Nick brings up you know, uh, a great question there, just because so much of the Jets season really relies on you know, the health of Makai Becton. And, and Brees Hall 
you know, resembling the player at some point that he was last year before he tore his knee in the seventh game of the season. I, I do think Becton is a bigger risk than Brees, just from the standpoint that Becton has never played a game in front of Jet fans. Think about that. His rookie year in 2020 was the COVID season, and he never played a home game in front of Jet fans. And last year, he didn't play any games. You know, two seasons ago, he got hurt in week one in the opening half. So he has barely played. He looks like he's in great shape. It's a contract year for him because they declined the fifth-year option. You know, that will motivate athletes. So, look, Mekhi Becton has never been about, you know, uh, talent with him or ability. It's always been about durability. So if he can stay healthy, that will really elevate uh, this Jets offensive line. And uh, Brees Hall maybe is not the same Brees Hall right away, but I think if you get to the midway point of the year and Brees Hall starts to, you know, resemble the back he was, First half of last season. If you're a Jet fan, you're going to be feeling great about that. Justin and Gilderlin is a Jets fan. He wants to know Sauce Gardner is now all the talk's been about how good he was as a rookie. Is he going to be talked about in 2023 as one of the best defensive backs in the NFL? It kind of feels like that's the next step, right? I mean, but let's put it like this: like anyone who watched football last year, you you know how good Sauce Gardner already is. I mean, he was the first rookie since Ronnie Lott to make a, an All Pro team. Yeah, I mean, Sauce Gardner was first team All Pro. As a rookie, it is unbelievable what he was able to do. And he just does everything the right way off the field. He's got unbelievable leadership qualities. You know, Sauce Gardner came to the Jets with a lot of hype, the nickname. He never allowed a touchdown in college, all that. But for him to have the year he had last year, it's one of the great rookie seasons of all time. And I think you could argue it's the greatest rookie season in the history of the Jets. That's how good he was last year. We got one more coming in from Ryan M. on Twitter who wants to know from you, Jake. Jake, with Carl Lawson restructuring his contract, will that have any impact on the future of Quinn and Williams? It's a great question because I, I, I don't know for sure one way or another. I guess it depends on how they want to structure Quinn and Williams' new deal. I'll say this to any concerned Jets fan. This is not Jamal Adams. This is not Leonard Williams. They're going to pay Quinn and Williams. They're going to get a deal done. I don't think in mid-May any Jet fan should be worried about Quinn and Williams scrubbing them uh, from the you know scrubbing the word Jets from his you know Twitter bio. I mean Lamar Jackson tweeted that he wanted a trade, and then he ended up a month later signing a new deal. So this is kind of the modern athlete how they handle things. So I think something's going to get done. I think the Carl Lawson restructure is an awesome move though because it guarantees you he's going to be on the team. He was willing to take a pay cut to free more cap space. And maybe it signifies another move or two could still become uh, between now and maybe the start of the training camp. You might know him from Houston and ESPN down there in Texas. You might know him from YouTube and all the great stuff he does on the non-traditional media platforms. It's Jake Aspen joining us here on LeVac and Gaz. Let's swing it over to the New York Knicks because it could have been possible if things had ended a different way that you and I would be talking about game one of the Eastern Conference Finals between Boston and New York and instead it's the Heat Knicks fans reflecting on the 2022-2023 season, what do you take away from this past season, and how do you view the future of the New York basketball team for the next few seasons? It is an unquestioned great season for the Knicks. I mean, they entered the year with a 38-win total projection at all the you know, all the sports books who set the, the, the number of win totals. And, you know, they won mid-45, 45-plus 45, 45 games this past year. They went, they won a playoff round for the first time in a decade, and again, ultimately, they lost to the better teams, and especially after you watch Miami last night go into Boston and win game one, I, you realize just how good of a team the Miami Heat ended up being. There's certainly no eight seed, so you took them to six games, and I think the biggest takeaway from this Knicks season is you have a legit star in Jalen Brunson. This is a team that has not had a point guard in 20 years, and 
Brunson comes in, and everyone says he's overpaid, and now he's underpaid. He's got a descending contract going forward. He's one of the best bargains, not just in the NBA, but in all of sports. You combine him with some of the young players on this team, you feel really good uh, about this Knicks future. The big question they got to ask themselves is, how can they go any further with Julius Randle being the sidekick to Jalen Brunson? I personally don't think he can, but it's not so easy just to trade Randle. Where are you trading him to? you got to make the money match. So I think the biggest thing the Knicks now need to do is they're well-equipped with draft picks and cap flexibility to acquire a superstar the next time one of those guys is available. We thought maybe it would be Donovan Mitchell last year. Turns out they couldn't end up landing him, and they beat a team in the playoffs. So who's the next guy that could become available? And you know, does, does Leon Rose and, you know, and Tom Thibodeau, can they get that sidekick or that number two or maybe a 1A, 1B next to Jalen Brunson who proved this year he's, he's the real deal? He's He's one of the best free agent signings, I would argue, uh, in the history of New York sports. That's his impact. It's a big claim, and he's actually lived up to the hype and been doing that. Exciting to see what his future brings for the blue and orange in the garden. Now, usually in mid-May, we're not talking about the Jets. We're not talking about the Knicks. We're usually talking about the Yankees and the concern level of a fan base early on with so many games to go. Aaron Judge back in the lineup. He's making his own the headlines with checking over to the dugout and stealing signs. <laughs> Domingo Herman's getting tossed out of the game. Let's focus on Judge, though, from earlier in the week. What did you make of his wandering eyes and the results in that Blue Jays series? I, I was frustrated by it as as someone who's you know a huge fan of Aaron Judge. Like the, the fact that people were accusing him of cheating, the fact that people tried to make it something it clearly wasn't, just showed you how many people are just uneducated about the game of baseball. It was obvious that the Blue Jays pitcher was tipping his pitches, which, oh, by the way, he has since admitted, yeah, they, I, they caught me tipping my pitches. So the idea that you know Aaron Judge was doing something wrong by you know, the Yankees picking up on a pitcher tipping, and then Judge, by the way, you know, standing there in the box and hitting an absolute meatball down the middle. I mean, he, he didn't even need the sign to hit that thing as far as he hit it. It, just, it was very frustrating for me because if, if you're a Yankee fan, like Aaron Judge has done everything right get a Yankee. So for people to use this as, oh, well, kind of go after the Yankees and, and Aaron Judge, it was frustrating as a fan. But then the next night for him to come back and hit a huge home run in that eighth inning to give the Yankees the lead a game they won, I mean, that was an awesome moment. So uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to see how Judge handled that. And, you know, the, the great ones respond the way he did. And, and anyone who's a Yankee fan who's watched Aaron Judge, who's a baseball fan, knows how great the guy is. Jake Aspen joining us here. You know him from his Jets coverage. You know him from down to ESPN Houston. He's doing all these great things, but he had a take on social media the other day that I almost texted you immediately when I read it because I'm like, he is reading my mind. He could not be more right. Now, for those of you who are fans of Ted Lasso, I'm going to give you a 3 to one countdown here. We don't want to do any spoilers, but especially for our podcast audience, I'd fast forward about two minutes if you don't want to get something spoiled here for season three. So three, two, one. What the hell happened? Like, why is season three so bad all of a sudden, Jake? You're spot on about this. It, it, it's sad, right? Because after season one, it felt like we were we were on the you know the precipice of watching maybe one of the better shows in recent TV, and it's just it's fallen off. I mean, season two was all right; it wasn't awful, but I mean, season three did they change out all the writers? It, it went from a show about you know a, a soccer coach uh, in London who's actually an American football coach, and there's funny moments and there's great character development to. It just feels like now they're just trying to like kind of force different storylines that don't really make sense. They're rushing through a lot of things, and then there's also the like kind of just the the need to kind of just throw in like you know everyday you know social storylines into the story, and it just doesn't fit like the whole charm and appeal of the show 
I feel like it's been lost for this season. And I, I don't think there's going to be a season for it. I read somewhere this is the final year, so it, it is what it is, I guess. But I'm definitely not going to watch season four because it is stunning to go from where the show was in season one to where it's been this season in season three. What I loved about it is that you saw these characters, you thought you knew them, and then they'd incorporate some backstory, like, whoa, okay, that's why this person is like that. Oh, if it wasn't for so many Roy Kent F-bombs, this could probably be on cable television, and cable TV probably needs a show like this for the families to watch and everything else. And yes, the societal issues, the random storylines that don't make sense, just somebody, I don't know if it was Apple or what, said we got to get our fingers in this so we can put this into syndication 20 years from now. I'm totally right with the Ted Lasso taking yeah. it, man. And, and guys, the, the most recent episode, I mean, the show's called Ted Lasso. Was Ted Lasso in, in any of the scenes for more than, like, maybe three total minutes of screen time? Like, I'm sorry, man. Like, I, I don't care about – there's too many different characters they tried to introduce. They, they should have continued – you know, we work in radio. You're told to play the hits. That's what, that's what Ted Lasso should have been doing. Yes, he can do it all. He can talk New York sports. He can talk Ted Lasso. I won't get him going about his favorite restaurant that serves some burritos and more. That would be another 25 minutes with him. We love when he hops <laughs> on with us. Jake Aspen, Jake, we appreciate you, man. Looking forward to hitting you more up in the fall and the winter coming up. Hopefully in Vegas, we'll be running into each other at Media Row this year. Keep up the great work. Make sure to follow him on YouTube, on Twitter, and more. Appreciate your time as always, man. Keep up the great work. My pleasure. I will see you both at the Radio Row in Vegas when the Jets are in the Super Bowl. Let's hope for that. You heard it here first. Jets Super Bowl. Jake just called it. Talk again soon, man. Thank you for having me, guys. Talk to you guys soon. LeVac here for USX Pest Control. The non-chemical exclusion system is amazing. I had Tim from USX come out to the house. He walked around. He showed me where the potential problem spots would be and what we would need to do to make sure that I didn't have to worry about invasive, you know, little rodents and nastiness. We went around the attic. I learned about bats, where they come from, how you can tell whether or not they've been there, mice in the basement, how you can tell whether or not they've been there, all these things. And then, get this, I find out one of the houses across the street has a termite problem. I called Tim over at USX Pest Control. Let him know. He said, here's why you're safe. A lot of concrete between you and that. However, we're going to go ahead and take a look and make sure it's okay. It is amazing how how just better I feel, how much safer, how much just more relaxed I am with my house because of USX Pest Control, part of the Gagne family of brands. You may remember Cat's Eye Pest Control. Well, now it's USXPest.com. We appreciate Jake Aspen taking the time there with us. If you missed our conversation with Jake, don't worry. It's going to be up a little bit later on Apple and Spotify On Demand. We appreciate you listening to any way you can, whether it be the iHeart app, Apple, Spotify, live on 95.9980. And again, those presets, if you got that new vehicle, 103.1-HD2. Might get a little better reception if you drive around the capital region. So set that on your dial as well. You know, we were just talking about Ted Lasso. I might be struggling. It is struggling season three, in our opinion, both Jake and mine. Secession is not. Secession is going to go down as one of the greatest television shows of all time. That's how good it is right now. Maybe Breaking Bad for me is it is. Breaking Bad's one. Secession, if it finishes strong as two, Dexter was in that conversation as well. But that's a whole different debate, especially the last season. But. I bring Secession up because one of the most recent episodes of the season was titled 
controlling the narrative. That's the theme in the sports world today. Like some of the biggest stories today, you could swing this around and say, today's all about controlling the narrative. 2026 World Cup. It's like three and a half years away. Why are people want to talk about the World Cup? I get it's coming to the States and multiple cities here in the USA are going to in the future have the World Cup. But already, New York and New Jersey is trying to control the narrative of what this is going to look like. There are reports coming out today that the FIFA president and more could not be more excited. In fact, it's being called the equivalent of eight Super Bowls at an event today. Again, not just the U.S., all of North America. Mexico is going to be a part of this. Canada is going to be a part of this. Team North America is going to be hosting the World Cup. I want to make sure I clarify that. But whether it's government officials or more, eight Super Bowls? Eight Super Bowls. Michael Strahan today said, quote, we want to host the final. There is no better place to host the final than at MetLife Stadium. This is football, okay? That thing I did is running around, tight pants, running into each other. Okay. Strahan playing to a different audience there. We think we're going to get at least eight games. That's eight Super Bowls, said New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy today and a big spectacle with New York Mayor Eric Adams and more. Eight Super Bowls. New York sports fans going to buy that today? You're trying to get that spin job going right now that you're going to convince New York sports fan. We just talked a bunch of different sports, baseball, basketball, football. You're going to try to convince me today in May of 2023 that the upcoming World Cup three years from now is going to be eight Super Bowls. Nah. The Super Bowl by itself in MetLite Stadium, I'll give you this, was a little disappointing. Do you remember what Super Bowl was at MetLife Stadium about 10 years ago? Finally, New York slash New Jersey will do that again. Got the Super Bowl, and the one they get was Seahawks-Broncos. That first offensive play snap flies over Peyton Manning's head, and the game's basically over then with the Legion of Boom dominating and putting on one of the best Super Bowl-dominating performances maybe of all time. See, the idea that the World Cup games... and Just picking random countries here. Ecuador versus Germany. I can't buy it. You can't even tell me that Ecuador versus Germany in the 2026 World Cup here for stateside fans is going to feel like a Super Bowl for them. Now, I'm not saying you won't get fans. I think the stadium is going to be packed for every single game, no matter what country is going to be playing, because there is a audience that may travel into MetLife Stadium. They may travel into Canada. Kansas City is going to be one of the host cities. Look at that. There's another Ted Lasso reference there, the hometown of Ted Lasso actor Jason Sudeikis. So yeah, you're going to have pockets of people going to the games. But if you're just trying to make an easy comparison for a Super Bowl, it's trying to control the narrative a little too much. Now, that same theme goes for the Pac-12 today. The Pac-12 has been rumored to still be trying to find a place to air their games for the future. 
Earlier this week, we talked about that magnificent, magnificent seven. Yeah, there you go. Magnificent seven of the ACC that's trying to leave the conference and find different ways to find more money with the ACC contract locked in until 2036. The Pac-12 has been going all over the place to air their games. Are they going to go linear or non-linear? Could we see them on Apple Plus or Netflix or Amazon or the CW or whoever wants to get involved? Now the Pac-12 has put out this statement today. This came out at 7 a.m. West Coast time. That the Pac-12 is going to enhance its in-game experience. Upcoming this fall and more, the Pac-12 is going to be more innovative than any conference in the country. The Pac-12 is going to have in-game and pre-game access with in-game coach interviews. Players being mic'd up during pre-game activities and more. Get ready for additional content on the way with our family of networks. Ugh. I mean, someone kind of waited a little long on this. Hey, look, we get it. We didn't really have a network. Everyone's called us out on it. You know how many steps away, by the way, until the Darren Ravels and the Mike McCarthy's and the Andrew Marshans, the business and media reporters nationally? You know how long it probably takes before it gets to them of how bad a conference is struggling to find TV rights and media rights and people putting them on. Now this is what the Pac-12 is trying to tell us. Hey, uh, look, we get USC's leaving. We get our most marquee schools actually won't be in the Pac-12, and people are concerned we're just about to become the Mountain West. And when we stack up our sports rights to other SEC, ACC, our ratings are not even close. We tried the Pac-12 after dark thing. Then we realized the East Coast fans maybe didn't want to stay up till 1.30 in the morning on a Saturday, at least watching Pac-12 football, unless they were chasing an investment somewhere. Someone's thinking about the Hawaii bet they're going to fire off in the fall. But they tried to spin this one, control the narrative of, no, 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 we're in good shape. Don't worry. We're going to let pregame interviews happen. You guys have been watching the XFL, right? What they're doing is kind of cool, please. Tell us it's cool. It's cool, right? Tell us it's cool. I like watching some Pac-12 football when I want to watch some Pac-12 football, but you don't have to sell me on it. You don't have to put out a press release and a big news interview conference at 7 a.m. your time to tell us you should care about your product. There are things to do in California rather than go to Palo Alto and watch a 1-11 Stanford team. There are things to do in Arizona. Rather than watch the Arizona State Sun Devils fall below expectations and people like me scratch their head and still wonder, why aren't they Oregon? Beautiful campus, easy school to get into, really cool uniforms, beautiful women. Why can't they recruit? That's what's going on in the Pac-12. So we got conferences trying to control the narrative today. We got cities and states trying to control the narrative today. And my favorite one, nobody does it better than this. No athletes try to control what happened. What we saw is fans better than fighters. I was very excited to show and play this cut of Tyson Fury, Joe Rogan, and John Jones. John Bones Jones, the Binghamton, New York native. Endicott, New York. Don't want to get in trouble with people who might be listening on the stream. Endicott, New York's John Jones. But Tyson Fury swore so much in this clip that I'm like, it's not even worth editing. I don't even know if you'll even be here. anything besides beeps. Tyson Fury 
is a little upset that Joe Rogan had suggested that if Tyson Fury and John Jones fought, Tyson Fury would lose the fight. Tyson Fury then went on to insult Joe Rogan and everything else. If John Jones and Tyson Fury fought, I'm a huge Tyson Fury fan. I liked Tyson Fury before the Wilder fight. I knew that day, that HBO Real Sports special, which I've referenced a thousand times, that day, that dude was going to save boxing, especially the heavyweight division, and make people care about it for a generation when the Klitschko's were so boring. John Jones is the greatest UFC fighter of all time. Ever. Ever. So if I had to pick a fight to watch between the two best fight athletes of the last 15 to 20 years, and this could actually happen, who would win in a fight between Tyson Fury and John Jones? John Jones would win the fight. He's more skilled as a fighter. Tyson Fury's the better boxer. You're telling me John Jones couldn't take down Tyson Fury? Look at these two. John Jones is carved up. He's put some weight on. He still looks like he's in fantastic shapes. He's beating dudes easy. I like Tyson Fury. I don't think working out's been his biggest strength. But Tyson Fury controls the narrative. I'm talking about Tyson Fury. He's got a few fights coming up, but we haven't really talked about him. You could argue he's been the athlete that was most affected by COVID the last three years because he had big heavyweight fights and everything else was on the way. That was the prime of his career, and COVID changed everything for him. But here we go. Who would I rather see Tyson Fury fight? Wilder a fourth time. Anthony Joshua, who keeps losing. Ruiz. Usyk. Or John Jones. John Jones is the answer. And who does John Jones want to fight? He's already won a belt. He's got a fight with Stipe, the UFC heavyweight champion, coming up soon. So what if he beats Stipe? Isn't this the moneymaker right here for John Jones? If you're a fighter, you want to be called the best fighter in the world. You don't want to have this cloud hanging over you wondering like, well, if this guy and this guy fought, who would win? McGregor and Mayweather stop that. Oh, you want to find out who's better? Step inside the ring and find out. Francis Ngannou left the UFC to go prove stuff like this. Francis Ngannou was rumored to be fighting Tyson Fury. So there we go again today on a Thursday in May about people trying to control the narrative. We got politicians trying to tell us eight Super Bowls are on the way in New York State. We've got fighters telling us that they can beat somebody who maybe they have no chance to beat, but... They want to make sure they got a job to sell tickets. They got that in the ways in which they can potentially have this happen. And you've got the Pac-12 trying to convince us that their product's actually not a bad thing to watch. Tune in to Pac-12 football. We might not know what channel it's on. Nobody might want us. But you can hear what Chip Kelly has to say before the game. Tune in to Pac-12 football. It's been all about controlling the narrative today. Hey, if you want to let us know, what you're thinking about, what you want to hear coming up, you can let us know on social media at WOFX980 on Twitter. Make sure to check us out on Facebook as well. And again, if you're listening on the iHeart app, that microphone right there, leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. At Tom Goss, T-O-M-G-O-Z-Z on Twitter. At the Jeff Levac. You can follow his Orlando trip. He joined us earlier in the show. If you missed that, to talk about Antonio Brown and more. Coming up on the way, our pal Brady Farkas is going to be joining us. We're going to do a little top four at four action. Thanks to our friends at Mohawk Honda. We got some NBA playoffs to talk about, baseball and more on the way. Hour two coming up. LeVac and Gaz.
right here on 95.9 and 980 Fox Sports Radio. It's time for the top four at four with LeVac and Gaz. Brought to you by our friends at Mohawk Honda. Mohawk Honda, where they go out of their way to please you. Brady Farkas, here he is. Top four at four. Giving his opinions and more. We appreciate Brady. Shen High School Zone, back again in the Capital Region, helping us out. All right, Brady, let's dive into it. Story number four, we've got the amount of games that Yankee pitcher Domingo Herman has been suspended. That number's 10. 10 games for Domingo Herman. I was hoping for a stupidity suspension. Peter on Twitter liked that idea. He wanted more games for Herman just being dumb and knowing that, hey, uh, maybe people are going to be looking at us this week. I want to give Peter's tweet before I let you answer because I want you to hear Peter wrote in. I'd like a stupidity suspension, but it has to work like this. Base suspension for sticky stuff, 10 games, and everyone else who gets caught in a season, they get one game added to the suspension. So 10th guy suspended 10 games, added the original 10. Maybe they'll learn. So the dumber you are, the bigger suspension. Part one, do you like a stupidity suspension? And part two, does 10 games make sense here for Herman? Well, 10 games is the rule, so it's not about whether it makes sense because 10 games is the rule. It is the collectively bargained rule. It could be so, a dumb rule. You could change it right now as the commissioner of baseball. 10 games is 10 games. All this right, is not fine. like, hey, we threw at a guy, and this guy gets one game, and that guy gets seven games, okay? Like, this, the rule is the rule, so it's not about that. Uh, yeah, I think it's fine because it's a pitcher that's going to miss you two starts, right? Like, that's the equivalent of a guy missing two starts. The thing that I don't love is that if a guy has sticky stuff, you can't replace him on the roster. Now, I get why, but, you know, because you want to make the suspension hurt as opposed to then, you know, you just you have everybody cheat and say, yeah, well, we we're going to send him down anyways. So I, I do get it, but it's going to hurt the Yankees to not be able to, to, to replace him for 10 days. Now, they're going to get Severino back this weekend, so their rotation should conceivably be better by having uh, having Severino there instead of Herman. But, yes, 10 games is fair. Two Two starts, don't be a knucklehead. 15. And by the way, yeah. Herman, Herman is like the last person that should be doing stuff like this. You've already got an 80-plus game suspension for domestic violence on your uh, on your baseball resume. So I already don't like you because of that. You're all you're under the microscope for the rest of your career. You, of all people, should not be doing this junk. That's the second part of that stupidity suspension because of what happened before. You know, We're having fun about this stupidity suspension because of how people were already going to be zoomed in the first suspension doing it at all you should get suspended for a serious amount of games to do it in front of an mlb executive to ever do it is dumb but to do that man domingo herman just constantly he can be really good but just dumb stuff like this man has hurt his career and it feels like yankee fans have gone through this before with other past pitchers too having this happen i would have liked to actually see it a little bit heavier with 15 games uh, let's move into story number three here. More about the Major League Baseball schedule coming up tonight. We've got a bunch of teams having some afternoon action and some night games as well. The Dodgers and Cardinals 745 first pitch tonight. Yankees and Blue Jays continue their series at 707. White Sox and Guardians, and we've seen some afternoon action today involved with the Angels and O's, Rays, Mets, Marlins, and Nationals. Uh, first, let's start with the Yankees here, and I do want to get to a Red Sox story here as well, even though the Red Sox are off tonight. Nestor Cortez on the mound tonight for the Yankees. The Yankees overall, when you evaluate this AL East and you evaluate Nestor Cortez, you know, LeVac and other Yankee fans are looking to make a move if they can, potentially change something. 
To me, it seems like the talent in the roster is still built to be the team in the East, even though Tampa's there. When you start evaluating the AL East, how do you rank it? Let's do a Brady Farkas power rankings now. One to five, where do the Yankees fall? I think Toronto is the team that I fear the most in the division. I think Tampa is right now the best team in the division. So I'll say Toronto one, Tampa two, Baltimore three, the Yankees four, and the Red Sox five. Now, the division is the best division in baseball. Um, Each of those teams has their own various level of concern, right? The Orioles do not have enough starting pitching, so I don't know if they're going to be able to hit themselves, you know, to finishing in second or third place. And I don't know if they're going to be able to hit themselves to the playoffs. You know, Kyle Gibson and Cole Irvin helping lead that rotation. I'm not, so Baltimore's pitching at the rotation level isn't very good. They've got to do something there. Red Sox have warts. Yankees just have too much, too many injuries. They're, they, they are built to be the best team in that division, but look at the injuries, man, right? Like in the bullpen, Canely hasn't pitched yet. And Trevino is out for the season. And then you go and look at, uh, the rotation, nothing out of Montas, who might be out the whole year. Rodon, we haven't seen yet. He's six weeks away at this point from being major league ready. Now you've got Herman Severino, you haven't seen all year. Stanton's been out. Donaldson's been out. Bader's been out, you know, at the early part of the year. So there's a lot of stuff going on with the Yankees that have, that have impacted their ability to climb the standings. The fact that they're this good, despite all that, is a testament to how good guys like Judge are and LeMahieu and how valuable he is. And, um, you know, the, the rotation has done a good job. As for Cortez, I mean, I worry that he's going to turn into a pumpkin. It doesn't mean he's going to be the guy who was getting DFA'd left and right at the beginning of his career, but I don't think he's the guy with a mid-two ERA and an all-star that we saw last year. So I think regression from him that has happened had to have been expected. They need Severino to come in and be really good, and, and that's kind of where I'm at because Cortez is not going to be the guy he was last year. Severino has to come in and be the multi-time all-star selection that he is from this point forward. If they can get 130 really good innings out of him, you'll feel a lot better about the team. We know Cole is great. We know that uh, some of the back-end bullpen pieces are good, and we know how good Judge is. But the injuries have really taken their toll on this team. Is it odd that when you said pitcher in pumpkin, I thought about Bartolo Colon? Um, yes, it's a little odd. Is it's it? Odd, I, mean, yes. I, just, I kind of... I mean, I get it. He kind of looks like a pumpkin. I understand that. He looks like a pumpkin. He looks like Harpo Marx. That's what he looks like. Wasn't Gus Gus in that same movie? Is Gus Gus in Cinderella? I think Gus Gus is like the portly mouse that's also bopping around in Cinderella. I don't watch. I haven't haven't watched Cinderella in a very, very long time, so I couldn't tell you. I can tell you. Yeah. Do you have YouTube TV, guys? Uh, I don't. Well... I can tell you that I missed the last four minutes of the Celtics game last night because YouTube TV decided to freeze and keep showing Little Mermaid previews for uh, for uh, like 35 minutes. So we all missed the last four minutes of the Celtics game. Oh, I'm glad you phrased that at the end with you because we all, and that was a hot discussion. I thought Twitter was going to burn last night. People were violent on Twitter, especially when YouTube TV crashed last night. Not happy it's people. Rude. Bad news for the NFL, who's moved Sunday ticket over there. So you don't want that. You don't want that to happen come uh, come September. I know the Red Sox are off. I did want to get to this story, and I got to give you credit because you called this earlier in the week. Pavetta going to the bullpen. Did you not call that earlier in the week? The Red Sox have announced that Pavetta's heading to the pen. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, you could see that from a mile away. The performance dictates it. Six point three 
ERA. I know his ERA is actually technically worse than, uh, uh, slightly better than Kluber's at this point, but Kluber's not going to the uh, to the pen. Pavetta, the performance dictated it. He's also got stuff for the bullpen. I know that he wants to start, and I feel bad and sympathize for him in that, but he throws 94-95. He's going to throw 96-97 over an inning or two. He's got a devastating curveball when it's on. So a two-pitch pitcher going to the pen makes a lot of sense, and he did it well in 2021 in the playoff run. So it's not great for Pavetta and the ego in the future contract. It is good for the Red Sox. Let's move on to story number two. Reports still circulating today that Antonio Brown, the former all-pro wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and now, well, Will Fraser says, majority owner of the Albany Empire, may be taking the field as a member of the Albany Empire when the team returns home on May 27th. Brady, you are a Capital Region former resident. You visit the Capital Region, but for somebody who may not be following this as much and may have some questions and hearing this from outside the Empire State, what do you make of this story involving Antonio Brown potentially playing in your hometown? I feel bad that I'm doing this with LeVac not here. How does LeVac talk about the Empire these days? Well, if you miss LeVac's talk about the Empire, you can go back and listen on demand okay. on <laughs> yeah. Apple and Spotify where you can listen to LeVac and Goss show. He opened the show talking about that today. Uh, he had mentioned as a joke that Antonio Brown might come back and play when he was initially signed or he signed on as the owner, but there were going to be some hoops he had to jump through because of legal stuff. And if you're an owner and all that stuff that I really don't know the details of, because I'm sure it depends on the league, but it wasn't as easy as just grab a helmet and shoulder pads and run on the field. So it doesn't surprise me, I guess. I guess it doesn't surprise me because Antonio Brown has been a drama filled circus everywhere that he's been right does like whether he was in pittsburgh we're talking about facebook living uh mike tomlin whether he's in new england with far more serious things about sexual assault allegations against him whether it's in tampa and the way he walked off the field against the jets things he said about tom brady legal issues it doesn't matter wherever antonio is brown has been there has been drama that has followed so nothing drama related around antonio brown surprises me at all um and also, from what I hear, the team isn't drawing very well. Like, it used to be an entertainment district down there, and the Empire Games used to look like the NCAA tournament looked in Albany, where there's, you know, games and a, and, and a, a, a bouncy bounce and all this kind of fun stuff for kids. And I, as far as I understand, that stuff's not there anymore. So they're not playing well. They're not drawing well. And the community um, outreach isn't what, what it once was. So it doesn't surprise me as a publicity stunt. Um so I, I guess it kind of just follows the script that I've seen from Antonio Brown my whole life. So May 27th, if my calendar still serves correct, is Memorial Day weekend. Who knows? Maybe Brady Farkas will be in town. Maybe he won't be. But if it, you know, it doesn't even matter if it's 33, 34 years old, 23, 24, 14. It doesn't matter. If you heard Antonio Brown was playing in Albany, would you buy a ticket to the game? Why or why not? No. I wouldn't I wouldn't buy a ticket given given what we know has transpired, right? Like given the alienation of some of the key figures in the organization, given the dissatisfaction. I read the story in the Times Union that came out the other day about the couple from Saratoga. So because there's that stuff attached, then no, then I'm not really interested in supporting it. If it had been like 
hey, this guy's been a great community steward and a great ambassador for the team and has fostered relationships and wanted to come out, well, then, yeah, I would go out and support that, and it would be a cool novelty. But when it seems like a last-ditch effort to, um, you know, to, to save the organization, no, I'm not interested in supporting that. I don't know if today's the day I want to do the poll on this. I think I'm going to lean towards next week on it where people's plans may change and Memorial Day may change and weather might play effect. There's so many still variables left in this. I'm fascinated what the number is. Is it as high as 75% as yes? Is it 75% no? I'm curious, Capital Region sports fan, the voice of the Capital Region sports fans right here, Fox Sports 95.9 and 980, what that percentage will be of people who are interested in now seeing the game with Antonio Brown potentially on the field. And story number one involves the NBA playoffs. The Celtics fall to the Miami Heat. Nuggets and Lakers get ready for game two. Brady, you know how I like to do this. I like to spread out a little bit when we talk about the number one story of the day. We need a little bit more time to do this, so I'm bringing you back for another segment. Stay on the line with me. We're going to talk Nuggets and Lakers and Heat and Celtics, especially leading off with Boston. How in the world they blew game one. We'll get to all that coming up. Brady Fark is joining us here. Slovak guys, Fox Sports 95, 9 and 980. Brady Farkas hanging around with us here for segment number two. And we told you we're going to dive deeper into that Boston Celtic Miami Heat game one Eastern Conference Finals matchup. Brady, you've seen a lot of Celtic games, maybe all of them this season. It felt like, hey, this is Boston's game. You're the better team. Everything we sort of previewed yesterday, but it's now the Celtics trailing 1-0 in this series. What happened to Boston? So frustrating. And because, as I told you yesterday, the Celtics cannot be beaten in this series on talent. The only thing that can beat them is lack of effort. And that is exactly what we saw happen in the third quarter. It is exactly what we have seen happen many, many times this season is what we've seen happen in the playoffs. We always talk about teams turning the switch on and off. Well, usually the teams turn the switch on come playoff time. The Celtics find a way to turn the switch off, even in the playoffs, which is so unbelievably frustrating they won three quarters outright they dominated in those three quarters and then they gave up 46 points in the third coming out of halftime i mean it's unacceptable we see it all too often from this team where they dominate a game but one quarter or one stretch does them in it's the same thing that happened last night the miami heat are not better than the boston celtics but the miami heat try harder consistently and don't get too high or too low. And the Celtics appear to get too high and too low all too often. Jalen Brown says we came out of halftime, you know, when we were too cool. How does that happen in the Eastern Conference Finals? How does that happen when you've done it in the previous series? How does it happen when you blew game five against Atlanta at home and allowed Trey Young to dominate on your home floor? This happens to the Celtics. all Like, they know this is part of their M.O., and they still find a way to do it. It's just, it's it's vexing. It's unacceptable. When it comes out of the first half and you see the adjustments or lack thereof or the lack of intensity in a third quarter, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, whether it's a fighter coming out of the corner in between rounds, that's when the most coaching should happen. Look, when you're setting up a game plan, you've done your scouting report, hey, this is where the coach can help us. The variables of the game take off after that. you got to adjust on the fly, and as things happen, things happen. But those small windows, post-break, we'll call it, that's got to be where coaching takes over. And we pinpointed this yesterday. We said, how much, if at all, will Eric Spolstra's top-tier coaching affect this series? 
Brady, for me, that's the first example of how do you come out flat in the second half? How can Eric Spolster, with a less talented team, take that quick of an advantage and not make mistakes like that? And that's from the start of the game on, where Miami just hung around, played their style, made sure Boston might take their foot off the gas, and they immediately pounced. Miami's been doing that the past two series. They've been an underdog, and they struck again in game one because of it. I'm not giving Spolstra all the credit for this, and I'm not giving Joe Missoula all the blame for this. We always say it all the time. The NBA is a player's league. More so than anything else, the NBA is a player's league, and this, to me, all around is on the players. The Miami Heat have taken on the identity of their best player in Jimmy Butler. Right? They are... They have a killer instinct. They don't get too high. They don't get too low. They always bring it. They are relentless. Whether they are winning, whether they are losing, they are always relentless, right? If they're if they're down, they keep coming. And if they're up, they keep extending. That is a reflection to me of their best player. The Boston Celtics, I'm not going to say it's all Jason Tatum because that's not fair, but the Boston Celtics come out. This, this is a veteran team. This is a team that's been to the Eastern Conference Finals now four times in seven years that got to the NBA Finals last year that remembers the sting of losing the NBA Finals on their home court. They should know better. Okay, Al Horford's a 10-year veteran. Malcolm Brogdon is a guy who had started every game of his career up until this season. Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart. Smart's been to four Eastern Conference Finals himself now. Brown's been to a bunch. Tatum's been to a bunch. These guys should not need the coach at halftime to motivate them like they're playing for their nine-year-old AAU team. I am putting this on the players. The players are the ones who, who who turn it on when they want and turn it off when they want, and they turn it off far too often. I, I think this is a player's a, a player's success for Miami and a player's failure for the Celtics. What do coaches say? They can't teach height, and they can't teach effort. They can try to get effort out of you. Is that nine-year-old AAU example is very true. You can find ways to motivate, but it's hard to coach height because it can't happen, and it's hard to coach effort. So with all that being said, when we preview game two of this series, if it comes down to effort, if it comes down to who wants it more, something has to change quickly. And for Boston, it may not be a lineup adjustment. It may not be guys getting different minutes. Is Do they understand the pressure they're under? You would hope that game two would be all about Boston and not wanting to trail Oh, two heading to South Beach for game three. Oh, I mean, they, they, they'll recognize it because they've been it before or they've been there before and they're there repeatedly. They're eight and 10 in their last 18 home playoff games. They lose at home. They lose game one and they do it all the time. And so on one hand, hey, we've seen this before. They have the ability to come back and they've shown us that and you shouldn't count them out. And that's great. On the other hand, you wonder, how does this keep happening? How is the same problem still a problem? And how is this a problem all the time? And it doesn't really matter who the coach is. Brad Stevens, Ime Udoka, uh, uh, Joe Missoula now, they're pulling the same stuff they've been pulling here you know, for the last couple of years. So I think the Celtics will win game two. And if I'm Miami, I wouldn't care because I've already stolen home court. And that's what you aim to do. You aim to win one of these two games. And whether they get beat by 37 or two, it doesn't really matter. I think the Celtics will win and we'll go back to South Beach 1-1 and the Celtics just have a history of making things far harder than they need to and they've done that again here. That's remarkable when you think about that too. For those who don't follow the Celtics as closely as you do, that you just ripped off three different coaches in those four times they've reached the conference finals and Brad Stevens wasn't fired. He left on his own. 
Ime Udoku is still one of the great mysteries, truly. Like, it's a mystery. What are we, 18 months, 24? Do we even know the details of exactly what happened? We know what likely happened, but the details of a Boston Celtics coach being fired, stepping aside, whatever words we end up using with that, remarkable. And now Joe Mazzulla, like, I don't even know if I know how good of a coach he is. I know I don't want to keep doing that storyline, but just, again, I'm glad you offered that perspective because a lot of changes usually happen to teams that stink, not teams that are good, and Boston's had those changes happen. Here's the other thing. I don't really want to blame Joe Mazzulla much because, like, people are like, oh, Joe Mazzulla's in over his head. Well, yeah, Joe Mazzulla didn't ask for this. Right. He didn't ask for two weeks before training camp for the head coach to be suspended and for like Joe Mazzulla has never been a first, he's never been a, a first chair assistant coach before. Of course he's a little over his head. He didn't ask for this. He didn't, he didn't apply for a job. He had no business getting, he got a job handed to him in a situation that, that of course he wasn't ready for Two, I mean, it's not 18 or 24 months guys. It's like eight months at this point or 10 months, but like last September, two weeks before training camp opens, this all comes out That's and right. Joe Missoula gets the job. Like th- this is, and then Damon Stoudemire, who's his top assistant leaves midway through the year or in March or whatever, and takes the job at Georgia tech. So now you're out, you're, you're underprepared as a head coach and you've lost your top assistant. Who's a several time, you know, a long time NBA veteran. So yeah, I, I can't blame this on Joe Missoula. If people think he's over his head. Yeah, he probably is. And that's where the players have to step up and take some ownership here. I mean, Joe Mazzulla is barely older than us, Scott. He's 34 years old. I remember right. him. Brady, I remember him as a player. And I keep thinking, like, even when they cut to the sidelines, I'm like, Joe Mazzulla, wait a second. Wait, a second. The, the guy from West Virginia? Right? Like, is that the same guy? All right. I call Joe, I call Joe Mazzulla uh, the brother of Justin Mazzulla, who is a UVM basketball starter for the last two years. <laughs> Very good stuff there. Brady Farkas joining us here talking some NBA playoffs. We're recapping game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. Now we're going to look forward to game two tonight. Nuggets, Lakers, Nuggets 1-0 advantage in this series. Nikola Jokic and the performance he put on in game one. Truly like something we've not seen, as some have said, in the history of the NBA playoffs. Now we get ready for game two tonight. 8.30 tip-off set for this one out in Denver. Brady, when I'm looking at this game two matchup, I just keep going back to Jokic, obviously the MVP of the past and more. But my storyline that keeps popping in my head is like, he just because he can't do that again makes me lean towards LA in this one, where it's, hey, that's about as great as Denver can play, and the Lakers kept it within six. If Denver falls back a little bit and doesn't drop 130 plus and doesn't have a game like that, LA can easily tie up the series if they get a good effort again from LeBron, Anthony Davis, and maybe a role player. Yeah, but you can't you can't use that argument, right? It's you're right. It's likely that Jokic won't be as good. It's also likely that Anthony Davis won't be as good. They're both going to regress, right? Jokic had 42, and Davis had 40. I mean, do you think either of them are going to do that? Okay, maybe 32 and 30, but then we're still at a Denver victory. <laughs> we're just 10 points fewer. So I, I don't think you can use that argument. I lean Denver again. I I, I think the Lakers will come out full of energy. I think they will come out with a hot start because I think they recognize the importance of playing well in the first half. And I think LeBron will have them ready to do that. I wouldn't be shocked if the Lakers come out and and win the first quarter by six or eight, but I just think Denver's better. And I just think Denver will outlast you. I saw Colin Cowherd 
say yesterday that Nikola Jokic is the peanut butter in of the NBA. He's always good. He's always reliable. He's always there and he's vastly underrated. And eventually he's going to just, he's going to get his and his team around him. I think is too good. I think the Lakers are, are in trouble tonight. I think Denver wins it. No, it won't be as high scoring. I do think Jokic won't get his as easily, but I also don't think Davis is going to get 40. So is it, if this game is played at 106 to 100 instead of, you know, 132 to 126, I still think Denver wins it. There's also a small part of me that wants to see Austin Reeves go for like 35. It's like the whole story of Austin Reeves cracks me up. Like the TikTok videos now that he grew up in a town with less than 2,000 people. He had to work. I never his- even heard of him until like January. Right. I thought he was a G League player they just needed for like a 10 day contract. Like, okay. Like the Lakers stink right now. They need to call somebody up to provide a spark to the team. They'll call up Austin Reeves. And now you see a guy like him getting. 40 plus minutes a game in the Western Conference Finals. Like, Rui Hachimura, we know him. Like, he played at Gonzaga. He was fine. D'Angelo Russell, we know him. Top five pick in the NBA draft. There's something about the underdog feel of an Austin Reeves that if we're coming back on Friday and next week talking about, oh, yeah, that's the guy that's deciding who gets to the NBA Finals. It's laugh out loud funny to me, and I kind of want to see that happen tonight. If Austin Reeves can play 40 minutes a game in the Western Conference Finals, why can't Jimmer be in the league? That's what I want to know. <laughs> wait, a like, second. Wait, wait a second with the Jimmer take. You and I have done many a talk about Jimmer for debt. Isn't it over at this point for Jimmer? We, oh, it's we, over. It's, it's over, yes. But I'm just saying, like, if Austin Reeves can play 40 minutes a night, you're telling me Jimmer could never have been on a roster? Let me tell you real quick. I don't want to deviate. No, this. no, no. I'm Let's sure do the Jimmer thing because some, some people in the audience have not heard your Jimmer take, and I think it's worth repeating the pride of the Capital Region and his career he had. Yes. I'm sure people are tired even at home of talking about Jimmer, but let me just give you this. Jimmer is not in the league because Jimmer's not good enough to be in the league. Jimmer is not in the league or wasn't in the league because he fell victim to the Tim Tebow syndrome. And this is the syndrome where if you are not good enough to be a starter or be a team's best player, the coach and the organization do not want to deal with the cult following that you have. And it's that simple, right? Like they don't want you to be a distraction. I will never forget guys. I might've been doing the show with you. Jimmer got a 10 day contract from the Knicks and was at the end of the bench and scored like six points in 90 seconds at the end of the game. And Kurt Rambis got asked, why isn't Jimmer playing more? Why isn't Jimmer playing more? Coaches don't want that from their 12th guy. Like Jimmer could have been in the league, but the Jimmer love was so insane. It would have overwhelmed what the coach wanted. It's the same reason. Look, as bad as everybody thinks Tim Tebow was, Tim Tebow could have been a third string quarterback, but nobody wanted to deal with the questioning that would have come for a third-string quarterback. It's the exact same reason now why Cam Newton doesn't have a job in the NFL. I did this with the Patriots. Why was Cam Newton not the backup to Mac Jones when he lost the job? Because the Patriots didn't want to deal with Cam's personality and Cam's specter hanging over everything. And the minute Mac throws an interception, why isn't Cam playing? Are you going to give Cam a shot? How does Cam look in practice? They don't want to deal with that stuff. So that's what that's why Jimmer never lasted in the league, because his, his personality and his following – outweighed what his production would have been and the coaches didn't want to deal with it I'll give you, no, no 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 i'll give you the cam one i think the cam one i agree with you on cam newton i think it's a little bit different than jimmer and a little bit different than tebow i think the better comparison maybe for jimmer's jeremy lynn because the thing with tebow i totally get your point following constant media press it doesn't make sense that he's on the field i think history is going to remind us because now Taysom hill exists 
Tebow could have found a role in the NFL. Like Tebow just said, I'm playing quarterback. That's it. There are other athletes that if they had the take Tebow had that I'm only doing this or else they would have been called selfish. They would have been called not a good teammate. They said, Hey, he's not doing what it takes to win. Now, because Tebow's nice and has the following, like more athletes would have been criticized. We rarely hear those words associated with Tebow. And I get at the end, he did the tight end thing with Jacksonville and the baseball thing, but prime Tebow. The thing, but we have to remember that, right? Like that's a big part of the, the Tebow thing. Jeremy Lin, eventually he had a nice career. Jimmer, some could argue he didn't play good enough defense. However, nobody in the NBA plays defense. So I'm not taking that one as a criticism. I always feel like Jimmer missed it. Like, if Jimmer Fredette, rather than being in his mid-30s, was right now in his late 20s, he would have a far better career because the game evolved. I think of him like Dwight Howard, you know? Like, you and I have had this Dwight Howard conversation before, and it's happening a little bit in the league now. If Dwight Howard had played in the 80s, he would have been talked about as one of the great centers of all time. He's likely going to be a Hall of Famer, but Dwight Howard's game doesn't fit the NBA in 2023. Jimmer Fredette would have killed it. If he was five years younger, he just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I, w- I would agree with that. I think that's fair. But even like, look, the three-point revolution has been going on for a decade. Jimmer is now like 34. At 29, the three-point revolution was going on. Like, Jimmer still could have been on a roster at 29. People just didn't want to deal, again, with the questions and with the comments. And they didn't want their 10th, 11th, 12th guy to overwhelm the rest of the organization. And that's what would have happened. That's why Rambis hated having him around back with the Knicks a decade ago, because and it's, it's, it's absolutely what is happening to cam. Like if cam were in the NFL, if cam were Patrick Mahomes backup, it wouldn't happen. Right. So, because cam's not going to overwhelm Mahomes, and no one's going to question Mahomes' spot on the roster. But as far as cam going to be a backup for some rookie or cam going to be a backup for, some guy that's not as good. Nobody wants to deal with like, man, Brock Purdy just threw a pick. Yeah. Cam back here. He's a former MVP. Kyle Shanahan. When are you going to play cam? Like no one wants to deal with that. So that cam's getting railroaded by his own fame. One other thing on cam Newton. Then I got to let you go. Cause I've kept you long today. Do you think cam Newton would be amazing as an analyst? Like an in-studio analyst. Because I, I think cam Newton's NFL career is done. And there's some rumblings. Maybe he'll try to do some other professional leagues or something. I feel like he would be fantastic on television. Well-dressed, well-smoken, unique voice, sees the game as a quarterback. If he wants to do it, Cam Newton's future in television could be 10 to 15 years. Maybe I'm in the minority on this. What's your take on Cam Newton eventually entering the television sports landscape? Hmm. Maybe you haven't thought about it yet, yeah. Well, I saw, uh, you know, the the Barrett Sports Media crew, the Sports Media Watchdogs, wrote that Cam should be a TV analyst years ago. Um, I think Cam would do really well in a collegiate setting. I'm not saying he wouldn't do well in an NFL setting. I just think Cam is so fun and so revered in the South, like SEC Network, ACC Network, bring Cam out to the tailgates, you know, whenever these networks are there doing live coverage of, of college games. I feel like cam would be great because he's so fun around a youthful audience. I don't, I think cam is too fun for a stuffy studio setting. If that makes sense. It does. And actually I saw this on Twitter the yesterday that I retweeted it. One of the most remarkable stats about college football over the last, maybe in the history of college football, that that 2010 national championship, Auburn team, only one player had a pass attempt reception start on offensive line Nobody got to the NFL on that team. 
except Cam Newton. In the SEC? In Auburn? It's remarkable. Brady Farkas, we're back tomorrow, Friday. We're going to close out the week strong. This was a strong way to close out a Thursday with you, but we got the play of the day coming up. Brady, appreciate you as always, man. No doubt. See you tomorrow. Yep. Brady's here hanging with us. Before we get to the play of the day, we want to tell you about our friends over at Mohawk Honda. Certified pre-owned vehicles are there right now in Glenville, New York. It is Mohawk Honda. Appreciate all the love we've been getting from people on social media and more about Mohawk Honda. Again, one more shout out to our girl, Lydia in East Greenbush, a minivan owner now. Thanks to Mohawk Honda. We appreciate her giving LeVan guys love. So whatever it is, whether it's this weekend, you've got Memorial Day plans on the way, stop over to Glenville and say, hey, uh, I heard about LeVan and Goss are talking about you guys. Goss has got the pilot. Which, by the way, now reminds me, was my wife supposed to swap vehicles today because I have the car seats? She's back after baby leave now. Is my car out there? Anyways, I love my pilots. The best vehicle I had. Appreciate everyone over there. Cam McKenna is who I worked with. But whoever it is, from Greg Johnson, Cam McKenna, Brian McKenna, Lindsay Harrington, anybody over there can help you find the deal you're looking for. Nick and Nate and social, John and service. I can run through everybody's name like I'm a teacher going back to school. You stop in and find out for yourself. People you can trust during the car buying experience. We're going to be there May 30th. So if you need to mark something on your calendar right now, you want to make an appointment, come hang with us in the waiting area. You can have live Levagas right in front of you as you get a new ride. It's Mohawk Honda, and they always go out of their way to please you. Levac here for USXPestControl.com. Go to USXPest.com right now and schedule your free inspection. For free, they're going to come out to your house. They're going to walk around the trouble spots. They're going to, you're going to tell them where you've seen things, where you think there might be an issue, and they're going to come up with a plan for you to have the safest home possible when it comes to pest control. The non-chemical exclusion system is perfectly safe, all-natural approach to keeping out rodents and wildlife from your home. So your pets are safe, your kids are safe, you're safe, and all because they went around and did this for you. They also are going to look at your yard. Hey, do you have uh, tick issues? Do you want to keep mosquitoes out? They've got a plan for all of it at USX. You've come to know and love the Gagne family of brands, and you may not even have realized that they were cat's eye pest control. Well, now it's USX Pest Control. Go to USXPest.com right now and schedule your free inspection. Hey, it's LeVac from Mohawk Chevrolet. Have you heard about Car Bravo? That's right. Mohawk Chevrolet, who is the place to go when you need a vehicle, has now made it even easier when you're talking about pre-owned vehicles. They changed the game with Car Bravo. Any maker model, not just Chevrolet, whatever it is you're looking for, if you can name it, you can now buy it certified from Mohawk Chevrolet. Here are some of the great features that Car Bravo offers you. At-home test drives available upon request or upon request, I mean, however you want to say it. See how excited I get about these things? Buy or sell your vehicle from the comfort of your home, dealership, wherever you are. I might buy or sell one during the show when God isn't paying attention. You don't know. Delivery to your front door or location of your choice. Guaranteed limited warranty on any make or model backed and serviced by Mohawk Chevrolet. How great is that? 126 checkpoint inspection, free Carfax Victory, vehicle victory. I call it victory because you're winning. Vehicle history report, roadside assistant anytime, day or night, courtesy transportation during a warranty repair. The list goes on and on. Car Bravo has changed the used vehicle game. Check out Car Bravo at MohawkChevrolet.com. Visit them at off of exit 12 of the Northway in Malta. Find new roads with Car Bravo at Mohawk Chevrolet, where they always go out of their way to please you couple things to note here coming up as we get closer and closer to Cavino and Rich coming up. Some exciting stuff on the way this weekend. And you know what? It's already getting underway right now out in Rochester. That is the second major. 
the PGA Championship going on. I'm actually going to be going out there on Sunday as a fan. Media member, don't need a pass for this one. Shout out to my dad, my buddies, shout out to Camps and everybody. We're going on as fans to check out the PGA Championship. Should be a really fun event. If you are heading to the PGA out in Rochester, Oak Hill, shoot me a message. Maybe we'll meet up. Bryson DeChambeau leading right now the PGA Championship. He is four under. Scotty Scheffler tied for second. He's up there on the leaderboard. No Tiger Woods. If you're looking for Tiger Watch, Tiger not competing this year. So still a lot of golf left to be played. Some guys still got some stuff going on as well. Remember last year's winner, Justin Thomas. So right now, Bryson DeChambeau, four under. His first round is done. Wild start to this one, too. Remember they had a frost delay out in western New York to start this thing off? Keep an eye on the PGA Championship. And I will, as of now, continue. And I'll do this probably till Sunday, too. Ask that if you do go to Oak Hill, if you want to yell out LeVac and Goss and Share it with us. I'll be very happy. Maybe I'll buy you a beer out in Rochester. Go LeVac and Gaz, see if we can get some television screen time and more for that. Uh, NBA playoffs tonight. This is going to lead to our play of the day. If you've been keeping track, NBA has been my best sport so far. We appreciate our friends over at Mohawk Chevrolet for being a part of this every single day. We're trying to help you invest. Remember, that is the key word we're talking here. It's not gambling. It's not wagering. It is investing in sports. We help you invest in sports. Lakers, Nuggets. I felt so good. I'm going back to the well here. And usually when you go back to the well, that means something good happened. So you're going back. But I did not hit the under in the last game. I didn't expect Jokic to have the game that he did. Guy was at a triple-double in the first half. What was the stat that he's the first player in 25 years in the playoffs to go with 10 points, 5 assists, and 2 blocks? It's insane. Now, with as well as Jokic played, and the Nuggets having their second home game here, obviously game 1 and game 2 of the series, and then get up 2 games to none, and I took Denver to win this series in 5. Now, this is the classic hedge, you would say here, guys. No, no, no. My job is to give you investments to win on. The Nuggets win tonight. The Nuggets win this game, but this is going to be a classic again. Game one was awesome with the Lakers making that big-time comeback. I felt as if earlier in the show the Lakers could win this one outright. But now I feel more confident that they can win game three and the series shifts back to California. So I, I won't give the Lakers the win tonight, but they can cover the five and a half. So Lakers lose on like a heartbreaking shot. Maybe a Jamal Murdy three with under a minute to go. Maybe Jokic puts one in over Davis with like seven to go, seven seconds to go. And Denver squeaks out a two-point victory. A Murray three, a three-point victory. I could see this like a buzzer beater ending game with Denver squeaking out the victory. Lakers cover the five and a half. Denver wins this, has a 2-0 lead as they shift Back to California for game three of that series coming up. Also, if you need some programming things to watch tonight, there's a Capital Region connection to VH1 tonight. Not ESPN, not Fox Sports, not NBC. VH1 tonight. 
If you're a fan of the show Wild and Out with Nick Cannon from the past, that airs at 9 o'clock tonight, and there will be an Albany connection as Albany Empire owner Antonio Brown will be appearing on the show. That's right. Maybe you're not familiar with the show Wild and Out. It's sort of like sketch comedy. Sort of like Saturday Night Live meets in Living Color meets Mad TV. But basically what Wild Out has turned into over the past... Oh, God. How long has the show been on the air? 10 years? All it's basically turned into is freestyle raps. Wild style. So, Antonio Brown... We know that he has a musical background. That's Yeah, that's the way I'll describe it. Uh, he is pursuing a rap career, and it seems as if he will be showcasing his skills tonight in the wild style freestyle. So tune in tonight, VH1, to see your Albany Empire owner participating in that. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we've got the return of Michael Tricarico. You might know that name. Maybe you don't. Michael Tricarico was the broadcaster for the Syracuse Mets. We've got the Syracuse Mets having some prospects that are now New York Mets, as the Mets have called out multiple players from the AAA level to come up and play for the Major League squad. The Mets have been struggling to find some power in the lineup. Vientos is going to the majors. What type of impact can he have for New York? Could he be the spark that Yankee fans saw in the past with players like Judge and Sanchez, and it feels like forever ago, Clinton Frazier. Could some of these young prospects in the Mets system change the season and get the New York Metropolitans back in contention? By the way, that game last night, you know, I'm teasing Tricarico tomorrow. Maybe I didn't give enough love today to the Mets. How about the victory last night for New York, huh? Coming back, two wins against the Tampa Bay Rays. That was great stuff. Pete Alonso and company helping get some victories for the New York Metropolitans. Three two winners last night. A three run shot in the ninth and Alonso come back in the tenth earlier this week. Those are some of the best victories of the seasons. Not the one most previous, most recent, I should say. But that eight seven victory over Tampa in extra innings. I mean, that's the win of the season. Some people probably left that game early. So shout out to the Mets, man. Maybe the comeback's already starting for New York and Pete Alonso and everybody else. Alonso, I'm dissing the Mets lineup for not hitting enough home runs. Maybe I forgot that Pete Alonso's leading the majors in home runs with 15. So there you go, New York Mets fans. There's the love I probably should have showed you earlier in the show. You guys are killing it right now. And we'll see if Michael Tricarico sees some more success coming the way of the New York Mets for the rest of the spring and the summer. Also tomorrow, we're going to be talking Preakness. How about Brian the Closer Mariano making his Fox Sports 95, 9 to 980 debut? I like saying Maggie. Mage, Mag, Maggie. I want to play that clip real quick, but uh, he will preview this year's Preakness with us. That field is looking a little rough. Is it going to be a blowout? Are you going to hear reactions like this from me again? Maggie! 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 Oh, my God! Oh, that clip gets worse and worse every time. We'll find out how to handicap this year's race, how we can make some money as well. 
All those things coming up on tomorrow's show. Don't forget, you can stay connected with Fox Sports 95.9 and 980 on Facebook, Twitter, and more. Catch you tomorrow. Now, don't forget, Covino and Rich. We got two full hours of Covino and Rich coming up. Covino and Rich is taking to 7 o'clock. So, no Red Sox tonight. So, Covino and Rich till 7. The Odd Couple, which we don't hear as much here in the spring and the summer. Chris Broussard and Rob Parker are going to take you to 7 to 10 tonight. Jason Smith for the nightcap. Uh, Brian, no. I'm going to stay up late tonight. That 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. shift. Ben Muller's show, he's not on tonight. So Brian No from the Capital Region is going to do a little fill in action tonight. So a little different lineup here on Fox Sports. We hope that you can enjoy all that stuff coming up tonight. We'll catch you tomorrow, 3 to 5. It's the Levac and Gaz, Fox Sports 95, 9 and 980.